You're listening to the Miami Dolphins Podcast Network. This is Drive Time with Travis Wingfield. Back to throw Tua, looking. Flips it down the wide open! <laughs> Touchdown, Tyreek Hill! Unbelievable! I would have hit that little man. I really hope you soon jump on his bandwagon. Waddle, waddle. Tua, shotgun, back to throw, looking, steps up, fires, touchdown! Okay. It's Waddle! His sixth touchdown Six pass touchdown of, the of the day. Drive time with Travis Wingfield begins now. Let me check your pulse if you're not fired up. What is up, Dolph fans, and welcome to the Drive Time Podcast. Part of the Miami Dolphins podcast network covering your team, your Miami Dolphins. How's it going, everybody? I am your host, Travis Wingfield. And on today's show, we always call this the aftermath or the autopsy, the deep dive from the Dolphins week 15 loss in Buffalo. And if my voice sounds a little more chipper than usual on a deep dive after a loss, It's because this tape was very encouraging, and I'll tell you why in this podcast. Point out the key plays and how they happened, and what Miami did well, what they did wrong on the missed chances, and so much more. Plus the key stats from PFF and other advanced metric sites, snap counts, and Mike McDaniel's Monday press conference. Plenty more to come here from the Baptist Health Studios inside the Baptist Health Training Complex. This is the Drive Time Podcast. It's a Tuesday. We're back full-time here with you guys every day the rest of the season, or at least five days a week, and I think we should be getting three consecutive one o'clock kickoffs. We'll see what happens in week 18, but I am excited about this podcast because I just finished watching the tape, and I tend to think that outside circumstances are where the Dolphins are not right now. One game back in the AFC East with a sweep over the Buffalo Bills. I think they were the better team, and the tape tends to agree with me. Let's go ahead and jump right in, and you can tell me if you agree after hearing my breakdown of this game. I just want to go ahead and kind of track the run game success because as I was going through this tape, there are several plays where the Dolphins get hat on a hat, and that's how you wind up running for 7.5 yards a clip. The first play is a great example of that, where Connor Williams just buries his man off the snap on a reach block, and this happens all the time. So defensive tackles want to shoot across Connor Williams' face or beat him to a gap that they have him out leveraged to get into that gap. But because of Connor Williams' quickness off the snap and then his work with his hands and the hand strength and his balance, he's able to connect with those guys where he's already you know, out-favored in terms of the real estate that he has to operate with. But then he pulls the guy's chest plate down and gets him to the ground immediately. And there were several blocks in this game where exactly that happened. And on this first play of the game... Both the guards hit squared up blocks down the field. Brandon Shell kicks out and seals. And Teron Armstead had a tremendous reach where he, they throw the butt in the gap. You spin that your hips and your butt around into the play side gap, wall off the backside. And then from there, Alec Ingold gets a good lean on, or a lead block, I should say, on Teron Johnson. And this is why I really hope we see these guys again because I think ni- their 95% nickel defense, their base defense against our two back personnel and 22 personnel at times. I think could be super deadly in a January game. And in fact, I think inclement weather would be more beneficial for Miami if that's how it goes. Stay in that nickel defense. We'll have Alec Ingold block your your nickel back all game long and get seven and a half yards of carry. And I typed this after the first play of the game. Then the second play of the game, he goes out and hits Johnson again and throws him to the ground. So I also wanted to track the number of block out the sun at the second level plays for Robert Hunt. 
who in my opinion is having a Pro Bowl caliber year. He's been fantastic, and this was his best game. Don't tell me about two false starts. I know that's got to get cleaned up, but I'm more concerned about the other 70 snaps he plays in a game. Like, if we're talking about two snaps out of 57 the Dolphins played, well, sure. I guess that's tangible, and you can tell from the stat sheet. And But if you look at the All-22, you're going to see Robert Hunt playing really, really good football. In fact, I tracked how many second-level wipeouts he had where he climbed to the second level on linebackers and took a player out of the play. I had seven in this game. Holy cow, the block on Tremaine Edmonds on Savon Ahmed's touchdown run. He approaches him, gets the initial punch or surge that knocks Edmonds back on his heels, and then Rob runs him right out of the frame, <laughs> like like Michael Orr in The Blind Side in the movie on Disney. Not, not, the, not the actual blocker, but the Sandra Bullock vehicle. What a game it was for him. Uh, first half is still in play, and I had six of those wipeout blocks at the second level in the first half, six of them for Big Rob Hunt. He comes back on Savon's second half nine-yard run and gets Edmonds in the exact same way. Like, he was doing this all night long. He's having a fantastic year. And the run game, on top of good execution, was just really creative. On the opening play of drive number two, you get Shell to pull, and that kind of throws some confusion on the Bills' defensive line because Rob pins his man, the three technique, to open that gap inside. And the six technique, who's head up over the tight end, or in this case, an H-back because it's Alec Ingold, but he's lined up over the attached player. He gets caught in the mess right there on Rob Hunt because he's thinking he's getting contact from Brandon Shell, but Shell's out of there to the backside of the formation. So Hunt winds up sealing two guys, and it's a massive lane for another chunk of yards. Did an excellent job winning at the point of attack by Hunt and Shell on the initial Alec Ingold third and one conversion. I think that play calling shows you how valuable Big Rob is because so many plays in this game ran right behind him, just like the Alec Ingold conversion. There was a fourth and one on the first scoring drive of the night where they run Raheem once again right behind the right guard and Rob removes his man from the equation and it's a first down. You want to convert on short yardage, saddle up number 68 and run the ball behind him. He is elite in those situations. Then we go back to some design elements of the offense and we see a quarters look on first and 15. What does that mean? Four deep defenders who each have responsibility of a deep quarter of the field. So it's a really takeaway deep shot type of defense. And if you can run guys by them, that's great. Not many teams can, but when you have Tyreek and Waddle, you can. But this play quarters on first and 15 and it's Waddle and Sanders who run a four who run a four man shell 20 yards off the ball with their two routes. They run that entire quarter's top, the roof of the defense. They take it and stretch it all the way up to the penthouse. And that opens up Raheem Mostert on a swing route, who just had everything cooking. Like, good ball placement here from Tua on the upfield shoulder allowed him to catch it in stride and not slow down. And that put him in position for a little bit of an inside shuffle step that left Matt Milano in the dust, and then he outruns Edmonds for a 20-yard gain and a first down. Let's talk about Raheem some more because this was a performance from a Dolphins back that we haven't seen in a while. Not just the stats, but the combination of speed and power he displayed. Man, he was good in this game. Uh, more design first. There was a counter, or there was plenty of counter in this game. Some inside zone, outside zone, some shotgun runs, under center, eye formation, offset eye, you know, H-back, attach mode. Like, there was so much fun stuff in this game. One of my favorite plays was the Ahmed second down run before the field goal to kick the game off. We get great movement play side, but you see the backside Bills defense kind of fold up over the top of multiple wall-offs because you kind of get... Armstead at the point on the line of scrimmage, you get Robert 
uh, Jones kind of a little bit further upfield, like two yards upfield. And then Connor Williams is the third man of that pillar trying to wall it off. And the Bills look content to stand there and, and just wait for the play to come back to him. And here comes Connor Williams over the top, five yards downfield, extending that wall and just forcing them to stay on the other side of the formation, having to get around blocks. That was the case all night long. Bill's defenders, before finding the ball carrier, had to contend with a blocker in front of them and offensive linemen, obviously your best blockers. It's a tough way to get run stops. That's why you run for seven and a half yards of carry. And you also do that with Raheem Mostert, which back to him real quick, that 67-yard gallop he had is one of the most impressive runs I can remember from a Dolphins back. First, you get hat on a hat across the board, including a devastating climb and erase from Connor Williams. Big Rob just stays glued to Ed Oliver, who's one of the best defensive tackles in the league, and trying his darndest to get off the block, and he can't do it. Shell and Smythe get big seals, and then here comes Raheem doing insane things. First contact is actually behind the line of scrimmage, excuse me, but he steps through it. Then he's got a safety who's got him squared up, and not just any safety, it's Jordan Poyer, one of the best in the league. He puts a hesitation step on him that prevents Poyer from squaring him up. And then from there, he drops the shoulders, but keeps the leg turned driving. And with a corner who's coming off of a block from Durham Smythe, they both kind of converge on Raheem's outside of his shoulder pads, and he keeps the legs churning and runs right through it. Then there's another tackle attempt up around the shoulders. Raheem stiff arms him to space, gets another broken tackle on Hamlin. Then he runs away from everyone until Teron Johnson, who came from the other side of the formation, has a deep enough angle to get him corralled at the 30, but Raheem puts a stiff arm on him and carries him all the way down to the 10-yard line plus the horse collar. I had him with five forced missed tackles there, six if you include dragging the safety for 20 yards, and every yard of that run was after contact as he was hit behind the line. What a freaking play. That was one of the best plays of the year. I thought the run after the Morstead roughing call was possibly his best, and obviously not as exciting, and that's kind of, that's disingenuous to say his best because it was his second best. But he's dead to rights behind the line about three yards and keeps the leg driving and gets a from a loss to a gain of four. That's critical stuff from a running back. We go back to the quarterback who goes, you know, second behind the run game this week, even though both were impressive. You know, the running game just kind of happened first, but with Tua, let's go ahead and talk about QB1. Pretty late into the Tuesday podcast to start up talking about the quarterback. We haven't done that much this year, but here we go. Tua, I like to track the big plays for good and bad and not do much of in-depth stuff in terms of like the innocuous, or I should say, the inconsequential types of plays. And there was a couple of those, but for the most part, Tua's plays were, were very highly engaged and very high level in this game. I had him for like two or three mistakes, but other than that, a really good game from the Miami quarterback. After the Raheem Mostert swing pass, we get 21 personnel with twins, two receivers to the field, the wide side of the formation. Cedric's the one, the furthest out, Waddle the two, the next closest in, the slot. Buffalo brings five with man free. So you have man coverage underneath, a free safety in the middle of the field, and a blitz up front. It's a double on Waddle with trail technique from the underneath corner who runs Waddle right into that slant into the middle of the field, safety capping that slant. And this leaves Cedric one-on-one to the field with Tredavious White, and he runs a comeback route. And this is the reason I'm talking about this play first is because I think it's where Tua's game kind of began from the high-level high difficulty and execution standpoint of the game. Against pressure that produces a big hit right after he throws the football, Tua's hands separate before Cedric has even throttled down the route. Anticipation was elite all night long. White is an all-pro, so he plays it well and comes back down the stem with Cedric, but Cedric boxes him out and gives enough of a target to the quarterback, and the ball could not be better on time or better located when he comes back down the stem 
hits his man right in the hands, and it goes incomplete. That's a big boy throw. Process over results, right? It's not a completion, but pressure in your face, far hash comeback, anticipation on a two-man route. It's a great, great throw, and that's what kind of got Tua going for the rest of the night. And what I love about Tua is he'll come back on the next play and get you, you know, Get, he'll get you after a play goes not his way. Sign of high-level quarterback play where you catch a break and you get a stop on like a drop pass or a misfire on one or two plays, but then you're still alive because the quarterback is dangerous in any down or distance. First, we need to commend to Ron Armstead here, and I put it on Twitter. Buffalo brings a delayed overload blitz against a slide protection from Miami. They're going to keep Teron Armstead all by himself on an island one-on-one against the Bills' edge rusher, who in this case I think was Shaq Lawson, and they're going to slide the protection to the other side of the formation. But Buffalo has a great call because they have two rushers from down positions to the right and just the one to the left, but they're going to wind up bailing out and bringing Edmonds and Johnson off of that Teron Armstead slide position. So you have three-on-one essentially in this play, and Teron starts wide to handle his man actually it was Epinesa it wasn't Lawson it was 57 and you're going to see Edmonds take his sprint inside of Tehran and you're going to see Tehran Johnson come off the outside edge of that so he has three guys and he can only block one of them so he's going to literally spin and do a pirouette back into the middle and erase Tremaine Edmonds who is the most immediate threat coming inside and as a result that makes the free runner on Tua a half second later right and then Tua handles the rest with Again, fantastic anticipation, an excellent expedited release where the ball's up and out before it looks like he has even an opportunity to do so, and the confidence and accuracy to put the ball into a window that has not opened before he throws the football against that level of pass rush. That is high, high-level quarterback play, and it continued all night long. They go back to the quarters against empty, and Tua takes the speed out to Waddle, and I think it's a good example of this tape showing good expansion off some of the stuff that Miami did really well early in the season. For that reason, I love this game. It's going to, I think, pay big dividends going forward. The third and one sack on the first field goal drive was a great play by Teron Johnson to buzz the flat on a whip route to Jalen Waddle. They got him one-on-one, and he puts his foot in the ground inside, takes it back to the outside. And we've hit that play before wide open because teams didn't put the additional defender in there. But Teron Johnson buzzes the flat and cuts off the throwing lane. Good on Tua for seeing that and not throwing it because it's a pick six if he does. And then you get Tyreek and Sherfield blanketed. And that's a spot where you don't mind eating the sack because you're still in short field goal range and you want to see if something can open up. It did not. It's not really a sack you put on the offensive line. And in fact, it's just a sack that is really the same as an incompletion because you lost seven yards and your field goal goes from... 35 yards to to 40, right? Not a big difference. I think the two throws in the end zone just before the second field goal were some of his best work. The first one, second and goal from the three, and the initial concept is completely blanketed. You get Mesh with Gasicki and Tyreek, which we talked about Mesh, wanted to see more of that. We got it. Raheem is to the front pylon to the left, Waddle to the back pylon to the opposite side. So you have really good spacing, stretching the Bills defense across the entire end zone, but they covered it very well. So Tua makes a decision I have to make a play. Everything's covered up here, and they make the right call execution for this wise. You know, we need a perfect throw to beat it. And that's what Tua did. He made a perfect throw. One of his best traits for my eyes is his ability to throw around blind defenders. That means their back is turned to the quarterback, chasing receivers. It's man coverage, right? But your back is to the quarterback. You can't defend more than the width of your body because you don't know where the football is. And because of that, you can throw what looks like kind of chancy type of passes. But it's not when you know the defender can't put his hand up there and swat it down. And so he throws this ball 
with the defensive back's back right to him, and he scrapes over the top of his helmet, buzzes his tower, and it gives Tyreek a chance, who does have his eyes on the quarterback, to put his hands up. And this is all happening through a compromised pocket with an awkward platform. So he's not set. He doesn't have the perfect throwing motion. It's a really tough catch to make. But like we said, to beat great defenses, you need a better throw, and we got it just didn't complete the catch. And that was kind of the difference on two field goal drives between seven and three uh, early in this game. A somewhat similar story on the very next play. First, it's a great route by Mike Gesicki to execute a natural rub because he shows his numbers back to the quarterback after not putting his hands up on the defender. Keep your hands down at your side. You're not going to get called for the pick. It creates a window for Tua. And let's make this abundantly clear because apparently it needs to be made that way. I, I thought everyone that watched football knew these basics, but maybe we don't. I don't know. The quarterback on that throw is trained to take his receiver to the ground because there's no one after the catch in the end zone. So why do we care about that? And putting the receiver on the ground naturally doesn't allow the defense to, one, tee off on your receiver to injure him, two, to tee off to jar the football free. That is how it's been coached since I was playing peewee football, man. (laughs) Okay, we all get that? Good. Front of the end zone equals low. Back of the end zone equals high. That's basic. I don't know how we don't know that, but I want to be very clear about it. Plus, I promise you, Sherfield appreciates the fact that the ball was down there because the opposite type of ball is what we call a hospital ball in the industry. Anticipated well, located well. That's a catch that Trent makes 98 times out of 100. We just missed it. And Tua was dealing, man. The non-call on the early contact on Tyreek, that ball was a little more inside than it could have been, but because it was out early, it puts pressure on the defensive back to make up ground doesn't get the call. Ball could have been more outside, but I, I like the anticipation. The very next play, the strike to Waddle for, I think it was 15 yards. And we'll talk about Miami's star 22-year-old wide receiver's perspective on this play here in a moment. But the quarterback, though, at third and five, uh, one hitch, hand separate when Waddle is even. And the best part about this is Tua is reading the too high uh, pre-snap shell because right at the snap, the safety to the field, the wide side, which is opposite of where Waddle is in the boundary, he turns to get depth but doesn't widen to the boundary. So Tua knows I have a window to attack here to Waddle's side. And this is another part of Tua's game that makes me believe his slumps will never last very long, just two games in this instance. He takes that bit of information and discerns what he's getting from that part of the field that he's blind to, where he's not looking that way. I'm looking left, and based on the information I have to the left, I know what's happening to the right. And that safety wheels out to cover the other high safety, who stepped down and tried to jump anything in breaking to Jalen. So Tua processes this, having to see it because of that, and he can get it out early. So Waddle's hesitation step gets him past the corner, and the throw is early with arc. Jalen goes up and snares it. It's underthrown by a half a yard, but that's not because of arm strength. It's because throwing deep shots to guys that run 4-2 is very difficult, and that's why it happens every quarterback around the league every single week. Perfect, not perfect throw, a good enough throw to get a conversion for 34 yards on third and five. What a play for Tua to know to get that ball there. Great play call for the double move to fake the inside where the Bills cheated and then go back over the top. We'll talk about Waddle's role in that play here in just a second. It wasn't a 15-yard play. It was a 34-yard play. Uh, the plan to attack linebackers in the passing game, both in front and behind them, was really well done. Everybody knows that we can really work the 10 to 19-yard range behind linebackers. We've got to mesh down in the red zone early in the game in the second quarter. Then on third down conversion in plus territory, Tyreek runs his route directly at Tremaine Edmonds. And typically we've gone behind those guys and thrown in behind them. 
Uh, but Edmonds has an eight-yard drop, and Tyreek presses right at him and then angles his route back to the quarterback, flattening at the first down sticks to catch it and move the chains. The very next play is a dot on third and nine to move the sticks. Tua gets great protection against a blitz and throws a comeback to the field. Another play I thought he couldn't do, right? Ball is out and on time with Tyreek coming back down the stem, and he makes the catch before the defender can drive on that ball. More instances of timing anticipation being the most important thing for a quarterback. Back to the offense and the quarterback in the offense. The Waddle's 67-yard touchdown, I think it was nothing short of a masterclass in terms of some tendency breakers for the Dolphins' offense. Because once again, the Bills start in this two-high coverage. They bring the boundary safety down to rob a crossing route. That's a, it's a typical robber call. Safety comes down, tries to take away the backside over route, which you get from Sherfield and you get from Tyreek to the field side, the same side that Waddle comes from from their three-man receivers set, three-by-one formation. And rather than crossing face, Waddle adjusts and runs behind him. It's like a step at the linebacker and then acceleration upfield. Tua sees it and once again throws with anticipation, good location, and it's a massive play to bring the Dolphins within two points. That pirouette on the scramble was a nifty move, the same move we saw him do against the Ravens back in week two. He just got got by the turf monster after seven yards, and then we go incompletion on the next play. It's one of those tapes where if you're not checking the score, you would think Miami's offense was unstoppable, even with 29 points. Just a few plays away from a lot more, in my opinion. Tua doesn't trip. It's probably a first down. They stay on the field that drive. Who knows what happens? The missed deep ball to Braylon Sanders hurts so much because it, it was a perfect ball. I've been asked that question a lot. Braylon comes back and gets a push on the DB. But he didn't have to do that. Tua threw it perfectly upfield. He grooves it 40 yards from the spot. He released the football to the landing point. And Braylon's on top of the DB where Tua goes to throw. And you see Sanders stop the track he's on and come back to the defensive back. And that threw off the timing of it. White's out of position. And it's a touchdown if he stays on that track and catches it in stride. Then we go sack, check down, punt, pain. The touchdown pass to Tyreek was so, 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 so good. (laughs) So good. Kind of the theme of the game here. Tua taking post-snap rotation of one player and processing what he does for the rest of the defense. And look, we can't go inside the mind of a player, but just watch this play. You get that similar safety rotation. Tua's helmet is keyed towards one defender, and the movement of that player leads him to flip his helmet back to the other side, all in one motion, and throw the football. That's processing. That's anticipation. That's knowing that his movement there means this on the backside. If then, therefore this... It's a surefire way to play really well and post gaudy stats in this league for a long time. If you can do that consistently, this year he has. Maybe even better, the Bills show press man with that high safety. The the stack to the field side of the formation brings the entire defense up to the line besides that one player, and you see Tua make a check at the line. Just adds another layer to it, and you love to see it. You've probably seen this by now, but the first play of the fourth quarter, Gesicki is turned free on a bust for a potential 83-yard touchdown catch on third and three. It sucks, but you have to understand the rules for a quarterback in his progression. He had favorable leverage to Tyreek to the sticks on a speed out. That's your first read. If it's there, you throw it. Teron Johnson played it perfectly, but the Bills busted and we never got to it. More pain. Uh, He also had Waddle on a backside over when he took a short completion to Tyreek later in the game. It's after the Wilkins and Phillips uh, fumble recovery. Tua from an eye formation boots and throws short of the sticks to Tyreek right before that Smythe play for a loss. But man, he had Waddle coming across the formation clear, open, naked, 10 yards further downfield, possibly a run after the catch too. That's the first miss I had from Tua this entire game. His first like obviously bad play. The rest was really good. Holy moly, the throw with nine minutes to go in the game, 22 all or 29 all tied up, rolling to his left. 
Tyreek crosses Edmonds on an over route with a safety bearing down. Nobody's open. Tyreek is hardly open, and you can't locate this ball in the windy snow any better than he did. Low so the safety cannot pop Tyreek out in front of him so he can go get it away from the linebacker, and he makes a great sliding catch. Like, wow. That was a wow play. They had some high-level execution plays in this game, man. And then the location on the Cedric Wilson throw was absolutely beautiful, too. And, man, watching it back, what a great recovery from Johnson. When Tua let that thing go, it looked like a walk-in touchdown, but his effort allowed him to get back and contest and make the tackle. Outstanding catch by Cedric Wilson. The third and 12 play to Waddle was defensive pass interference, clear as day. White has his hand on Waddle's back, and you see Jalen's body turn in a totally unnatural way. He's running one direction. His hip turns the other way. You can't do that. It was the hand on the hip. You see both Tyreek, Waddle, and Trent Sherfield all motion for a flag. Again, more pain. One of my favorite tapes in Tua's career, ultimately, I think it gets defined by two or three misses because the Bills' offense was able to match Miami, but this tape is littered with some great stuff that great quarterbacks do. The entire offensive tape was really good, and to finish that point, the blocking out wide by the receivers was once again really good. Tyreek, and, and you know, he tweeted that he didn't have his best game. Maybe it was the end zone drop that he talked about, but I thought it was pretty good. On the play that Tua scrambled, Tyreek took three defenders with him to the post, which cleared everybody out, obviously. Then the next drive, his release and the touchdown catch, what a move. You see White try to hit the inside hand jam. Tyreek bluffs a step inside, then gets his feet right back under him and takes off from there without contact. There's nobody in the league that's going to run with Tyreek on that play. Perfect ball equals six. Waddle, the hesitation step to acceleration was on display on two straight plays, and man, it's good to see him back being that explosive after a couple of down weeks where he just didn't look right to that level of juice. The hesitation step on the deep shot put him in front of the DB in a matter of five yards. And then the deep ball tracking from there, the way he's high pointing the ball all year long has been so good. Then the long touchdown, his route running is really good. He comes out of the break like he's going to just cross Poyer's face and runs right at him. Then he takes one step upfield and jets behind him. The ball's out early, and it looks like Hamlin has an angle, but few people can erase angles like Jalen Waddle. He just flew right by him. What a special player. Alec Ingold, man, what a game for him. He was going after their nickel, number seven, and getting key blocks all night long. Remember we talked about them playing 95% of their snaps in nickel defense? That's because Johnson's so talented and can insert versus the run. But Ingold had a handful of blocks on him, man, including the Savon Ahmed touchdown. It wasn't just the nickel either. He had a block on another Ahmed run where he cleared Epinesa out of the play, and it frustrated Epinesa so bad that he threw Alec down after the fact. It should have been 15, but they didn't call it. Speaking of Ahmed, that was some kind of run he had. Rob Jones has an excellent game and an excellent down block on Milano. Covers him up to the point that you could barely see any red on the play. Then Savon has DeMar Hamlin one-on-one and his jump cut and explosion off that cut into the end zone. What a run that was. Love the way he pressed the gap and accelerated on his wide nine-yard run in the third quarter as well. The whole line was awesome. So encouraged about what's being done by these front five guys right now. Armstead, Jones, Williams, Hunt, Shell, great game. I thought Rob Jones had the best rep I've seen from him on the play after the Phillips strip sack. Mostert gets a first down run, and he reaches Oliver, gets turned into the gap, and then finishes the play by throwing him to the ground. Williams multiple times in the game. Hunt, we talked about him. Shell had some good kickout blocks too. A couple of dicey pass pro snaps, but man, this line's playing good. My last note, I would love a little more wiggle out of the tight end position. Run after the catch would be nice at that spot. Let's go ahead and take our first break and come back into the defense on the other side. We'll go through that quicker on this one. That's next. Drive Time Podcast, your host, Travis Wingfield, brought to you by AutoNation. 
Had enough of those supplements that leave you feeling nothing? Symbiotica is your solution to great tasting all natural supplements that actually work. Crafted with premium plant based ingredients, their products have no seed oils, fillers, or artificial nonsense. It's just pure goodness in every pouch. Try them out and actually feel the difference today. Visit symbiotica.com and use code IHEART for 15% off plus free shipping on your subscription order. Again, that's 15% off plus free shipping on your subscription order. Go to symbiotica.com. That's C Y M B I O T I K A dot it's a tuesday we are deep into the podcast just after the first break which means you know we have plenty more to come your way haven't been able to keep these podcasts under like 45 but that's okay just means we have lots of notes to get to and we had a lot on the offense not going to have as much on the defense but i think we start here i'm I'm not going to get on here and tell y'all about the misplays and a secondary that is down to safety five at one position and calling on cornerbacks five and six the majority of the season. You just have to find a way to manage it. That's kind of how attrition in the National Football League works. Once you get to the end of the year, almost every team has at least one position group that has been decimated by injuries. If you can avoid it, good for you. And the best teams find ways to overcome it, whether it's more production from a different position or just trying to cover it with your scheme. And Miami, obviously, with the Bradley Chubb trade, going after more pressure guys that can win one-on-ones up front have shifted a little bit in that way. And I'll tell you why the Bradley Chubb, you know, where is he in the sack production stuff? Like, same thing with Phillips early in the season. Just chill, relax, it's coming. Uh, it's been productive, just not in the sack category. Boy, but early on, the the play of the Bills offense going after those, you know, players we talked about, it it was costly and it was costly late as well. So just know that we're not going to sit here and analyze it because to me, it's a dead horse. You guys know, I know, I don't think it's constructive when we all know that and continue to beat that dead horse. Kind of like a certain topic on Twitter that we talk about every single day uh, regarding this team's quarterback. Now you can say, Travis, how do they overcome it enough to get enough production, to win enough games, to get us in and keep us competitive from there? And that's totally fair. And I think you have to use these last three weeks to make that happen and get the production to win the games, to get yourself in position to play those games beyond those three. And I do have confidence that will happen. Let's go ahead and start here with the ball off Javon Holland's hands on the opening series of the game. And you can see from the wide angle that he's clearly focused on laying a big hit to dislodge the football. I have to imagine that's the hardest part about playing defensive back because you have to assume that every pass is going to be good, right? In this case, Allen misfired high, and by the time Javon had realized it, the ball's coming in 60 miles an hour off the fingertips and falls for a harmless incompletion. Now, to finish off that drive, we get a great key and trigger from Alandon Roberts to shut down a run for just one yard. Then Justin Bethel and Noah Igbenogany have to contest with a stack and a switch on third and nine, which can cause lots of issues in man coverage. It was an issue against the Chargers last week. And Bethel's reroute and jam on Dawson Knox really disrupt a lot of that stuff. And then Noah Egbenogany takes a great route underneath to undercut the throw to Stephon Diggs and takes away that window. Ball is high, punt team on. I thought it was a great start against a similar look that gave this team issues the week prior. And Justin Bethel, man... Every time he's out there, he seems to make big plays. He had some work in the safety position after we talked about earlier with the safety play, you know, giving up some plays. And then Bethel came in and helped out in that spot too. So maybe we see more of that going forward. And by the way, Buffalo's first touchdown, that one uh, to the tight end who had never scored before in his career, that was the exact same type of play on the catch or the throw, I should say, to Tyreek Hill in the end zone that did not go complete and caused so much debate. It was literally the exact same play. The safety is underneath this time Javon Holland, and the the tight end over the top 
knows or the quarterback knows that Javon can only defend the width of his body, just throws it over the top of his helmet, and they caught it. We didn't. But because of perception and narratives, one's a great throw and the other might not be, I guess. I don't know. Get the GTFO, man. <laughs> That's kind of how I feel about that. I just love the way Cater Kohu plays screens and plays in space. His work staying wide helped Alandon Roberts get a three-yard tackle for loss on the opening play of Buffalo's third drive. Christian Wilkins, who was great in his, in his Monday press conference, by the way, go check it out on the team YouTube channel. Even when he isn't winning, he's making an impact. There was a drop pass by... Almost said Dalvin Cook, James Cook, and they double him, and he helps. It, it helps the center of the Buffalo Bills stay square to Christian, which is a tough place to win as a pass rusher. Like you always want to rush one edge of the man, and he basically has to restart the rep once the double team clears. And now he's squared up at the 19 yard line. And by the time Allen hitches up to throw, it's like a beat. Wilkins has driven Mitch Morse back five yards. I think it's his technique that's so excellent that allows him to play from behind the pads, play through the power, and pair it with those physical tools. That's how you get elite players. And again, Christian talked about it in his press conference on Monday. You should uh, go check it out on YouTube. Not going to play the highlight here, but check it out on the YouTube channel. That third and 17 conversion is a good example of how hard this offense is to defend and how tough it's been on the back end this year we saw Josh Allen go vertical against blitzes and here we rush just four and they get a great pass protection and Allen can just survey and rip a strike to Davis on a 20-yard dig so he can you know damn if you do damn if you don't you can send pressure and he'll throw it early you get a DPI down the field or he can stand there and and scramble or or throw from from the pocket it's just a lot to ask for saw a lot of chatter about Bradley Chubb in this game this is all you need to know about Bradley Chubb Deion Dawkins is their best pass protector, one of the best in the National Football League. A lot of the reps they played against Bradley Chubb featured a chip to allow Dawkins to get to his landmark and get set, which doesn't even give him a chance to cross face or have to counter back inside so he can get the depth and the width he needs and settle into his pass set while Chubb has to restart and redirect after the fact. What else do you need to know than that? That tells you about the attention they give him, even with Jalen Phillips and Christian Wilkins and Melvin Ingram across this front. And also, how about this? We're averaging 25 pressures per game over the last five games compared to 15 per game across the first nine games. And if you think pressures don't matter, I don't know what to tell you, bud. I've seen way worse stuff on the local news. Better coverage would help the pass rush pay off a lot more. Just please know that. Continue to be so impressed by Bethel again. The pass breakup was some teach tape that he had. Stays in phase, gets out of phase on the break, but then breaks on the football and then slices his hand between the two hands of Dawson Knox and jars it free. There are so many plays, and going back to this guy again, where Josh Allen just makes a freaking play. It's tough to get on your guys for that when that happens. That play before the end of the half, It's just Josh Allen doing Josh Allen things. And there was another one on a third and four earlier on that drive with 42 seconds to go where it looked like Miami would get off and get the football back, you know, trailing by one point, which would have been huge before the half, obviously. And I thought they were mixing it and disguising it well. There was a a man free, uh, you know, man coverage, free safety, single high rep where Bethel was the robber and kind of spying the quarterback. But Allen breaks that contain and throws it after an eight-second scramble. You just can't expect to cover guys that long. So that got them into the end zone, 21-13. But then after a tough first half, how did Miami turn it around? Well, more mixing, more disguising, just better execution, I think. Better depth in the second level on hooks, hook zone drops. Uh, there was a play in the first play where Alandon Roberts got to that space. Now a few plays later, him and Jerome Baker turned at Dawson Knox free and both just covered grass. But it was more prominent than it was not. 
Uh, there was great man-to-man coverage on a hitch to Gabe Davis by Xavier Howard on a third down stop where he ran the route for him. We need to see more of that going forward. More open field tackling prowess from Cater Kohu gets a big stop on a second down short of the sticks. And then the next play, Wilkins worked off of Phillips's pressure so well. He would stack a two-gap type of play, a block, where he kind of keeps his eyes on the quarterback and holds the point and keys the lane that's created by Jalen Phillips by winning around the edge. Then he quickly gets to the B-gap to cut off Allen's escape valve. It's a big reason they got a stop on the second drive and on a third and two where Phillips drew the hold on a wicked outside pass rush. Wilkins and Phillips teamed up on that play to really make it happen. On the very next play, he twisted with Ingram, Phillips did, and one outside of Dawkins, and the pressure forced Allen to throw on the move, and he misses an open Isaiah McKenzie. That's how pressure can impact plays without making sacks. Wilkins makes a run stop on the Bills on their own two-yard line. More teaching tape from two-gapping where he stacks it and gets off the block and makes another big tackle. 81 this year. He is just eight shy of his own personal record for most tackles by a defensive tackle in NFL history. Then Cater has a great pass breakup on a rep. Uh, a rep and a pass breakup, I should say. Then Javon on that spy rep coming from depth and getting Allen to the ground in space. Next play, next series, Sealer beats Dawkins across his face for a run stop for a three-yard loss. Then Chubb gets a pressure on Allen to force a throwaway, a deep incompletion with really good coverage from both Igbenogany and Kohu. Then on third and 10 from the negative 45 on the next series, you get more great man coverage and man free, and Allen's forced to try a deep shot to a covered receiver from an awkward platform, again because of pressure from Phillips and Wilkins. Then those two combine on the very next play. Phillips' effort to force that fumble, the hands to swipe, the athletic ability to shorten that angle and turn the corner, then finish the play, and the ball bounces right to Christian, who does so well to always keep his eyes on the quarterback. And speaking of good bounces, man, we get another forced fumble on the very next play from Chubb, and man, if we can just recover that one. (laughs) So close all game long. Some more individual plays here. Zach Sealer, play two of the second half. Second and one just wins instantly. The way he hits those backs when he gets through is so good. He is so consistent, and he either tackles them with the ball or he runs through them in pass protection and gets the sack in the quarterback. Mentioned Phillips' hands are so, so good. He's dispatching some really good tackles with their initial punch, and I thought Javon showed great toughness and more of that range playing through that neck injury. Some stats for you here. Tua on 20-plus yard throws was 3-for-4 for for 119 and two touchdowns. Pretty good. Pretty good, man. 10 of 19 or 10 to 19 yards, four for eight for 63. So combined on 10 plus air yard throws in cold temperature, which I was told back in October was the next hurdle he had to cur- he had to clear. Seven for 12 for 182 and two touchdowns. Okay. Uh, when he was blitzed, eight for 13. He was once sacked once. A 42% blitz rate this game compared to just three blitzes last time around. He was eight for 13 when blitzed for 98 yards and a touchdown. When he was not blitzed, nine for 17 for 136 and a score. When he was pressured, just three for seven and 18 yards. Receiving Tyreek, 2.38 yards per route ran. Remember, two is always good. 2.38 is great for a season. He's over that on the year, so less than his usual season stats, and also just 5.75 yards per target, way below his season average. Waddle averaged just under five yards per route ran. He is insane. 16.3 yards per target, and he leads the NFL with 18 yards per catch. We'll update you guys on more stats tomorrow, I think. I don't want to do it today because this podcast is long uh, for the season, I should say. Cedric Wilson, 2.63 yards per route ran, 10.5 yards per target. Running backs, Raheem Mostert had seven forced missed tackles, although I think that's probably a higher number. I had him for six on the one carry. 141 after contact, averaged 8.29 yards after initial contact. Ahmed had two missed tackles forced, 28 yards after contact. He averaged 4.67 after contact. Uh, We averaged 14.8 yards running behind the right guard. That was, of course, the 68-yard run helped. Running right in general was 12 for 112. Pass pro, 
Teastead, Jones, and Williams, zero pressures allowed. Hunt, Shell, and Smythe all had two. Just six pressures in this game. Very, very good. Defensive pressure, Sealer and Phillips, five apiece. Chubb had three. Wilkins, Jenkins, Ingram had two apiece, and two guys had one. As far as run stops go, Sealer and Wilkins had three. Phillips, Chubb, Gink, and Baker, and Erob all had two apiece. Two guys had one. And then as far as your coverage, snaps, and yards allowed in the defensive secondary, Cater Kohu and Xavier Howard both played 51 coverage snaps. Kohu allowed 60 yards. X allowed 26. Those are both really good numbers from your two starting cornerbacks outside. McKinley played 44 snaps, was not targeted. And Javon Holland played 41 snaps in coverage and allowed just 14 yards. So those are your PFF stats, your advanced metrics. Let's go ahead and take our last break and come back on the other side and get you caught up on the snap counts and hear from head coach Mike McDaniel. We have three answers from a very good Monday press conference, including him touching on the narrative around QB1 to Atunga-Vailoa. You don't want to miss this. That's coming next. Drive Time Podcast, your host, Travis Wingfield, brought to you by AutoNation. Had enough of those supplements that leave you feeling nothing? Symbionica is your solution to great-tasting, all-natural supplements that actually work. Crafted with premium plant-based ingredients, their products have no seed oils, fillers, or toxins. Try them out and actually feel the difference today. Visit Symbionica.com and use code IHEART for 15% off plus free shipping on your subscription order. Again, that's 15% off plus free shipping on your subscription order. Go to Symbionica.com. C-Y-M-B-I-O. T-I-K-A.com. Back here on a Tuesday edition of the Drive Time Podcast. Before we hear from head coach Mike McDaniel, offensive snap counts, we once again go wire to wire on the offensive line and at quarterback, 59 snaps for all six of those guys. Tyreek leads the way among receivers, playing 83%. Waddle played 69%, so some uh, shifting and moving around there. Sherfield, 32 snaps is 54%. That's been pretty common. And then both Cedric Wilson and Braylon Sanders played 22% of the snaps, 13 total. At running back, Mostert gets 76% of the workload. Savon gets 24%. And then Alec Ingold played 54% of the snaps. At tight end, Smythe has a big advantage over Gasicki in this game with 64% of the workload. Gasicki played 20%. And Hunter Long got out there for 10% of the snaps. On defense, Kohu and X played all 78 reps. Javon Holland usually does, but he missed a few. He played 67 out of the 78. Up front, Christian Wilkins gave you 69 snaps. Nice, but also outrageous. Jerome Baker gave you the exact same number at linebacker. McKinley played 67 snaps, so he's also in that 86% snap total, just like Javon Holland was. Uh, Sealer, again, these him and Wilkins, man, 65 snaps again. Phillips at linebacker and Chubb and, uh, gave you 60 and 56 snaps. Duke gives you 33 snaps. Same with Alandon for 33 snaps. And that was it at linebacker. At corner, Keon Crossan played 37. Igbenogany played 33 and that was it there. I'm just reading this list, guys. Sing with me. Raquan Davis played 25. John Jenkins, 23. Melvin gave you 22 snaps at his linebacker spot. Bethel played 17. Wouldn't mind seeing that go up. Van Ginkle played 15. Fedulin played 8. And then Justin Zimmer played 3 snaps in the game. So those are your snap counts. Let's go ahead and get to head coach Mike McDaniel, who first told us that Jerome Baker uh, should be good to go this week. Says he doesn't expect uh, much more of a day-to-day situation for him there. Similar stories for Eric Rowe and Jeff Wilson. They should be back in short order. Liam Eichenberg could return to practice this week. Uh, it's more of a if or when, not if, with Liam Eikenberg, he says. And then Coach was asked about coming back home to play back in Miami after a three-game road trip. And that wasn't really the genesis of what he talked about, but I love what he talked about. And here's Coach talking about what he talked about. <laughs> I mean, I can't kind of knew knew what it was I guess yeah you know I'd love the 
I, I love the the home stadium. Um, I feel like I've lived in in Miami my whole life at this point. I don't know why. It's just um, I had to go into the West Coast. I was like, what is this dry stuff? I hate lotion now. Um, but uh, yeah, I think I think uh, I wouldn't say it was a relief though. Um, you know the 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 point uh, of that. We we knew exactly what the what the trip was going to be like. We knew what those three games um, against uh, good opponents. Um, you know, we knew it was a challenge, and you know, we we were kind of excited for that challenge. Uh, we know exactly what we ended up doing in those three games. So, um, you know, the that definitely wasn't the desired outcome. But at the same time, what, what I'm talking to the team about and what I think is um, very important that I really, really, uh, truly believe deep down to my core is there's if you're going to lose football games, um, you know, you, you, you should get something out of it. I, I do think that uh, I, just to, moving forward to make yourself better, to make that purposeful. Um, Guys, I th- I, th- I was very, very proud of the effort. I was very proud of the lack of excuses um, that, that were made by the locker room, the players, the coaches in general, um, because now that I can talk about it out in the open, yeah, that is difficult for sure. Um, time zone switches, and, but, you know, everybody has to go through their own stuff. Uh, but I, I didn't think – I thought they – uh, approached it with a severity um, enough to, uh, you know, get something out of it. Because you're not going to, if you go half in or utilize excuses um, uh, and you you lose, it doesn't really, you can just say, okay, we'll turn it up, you know, and that, and then you don't really get anything out of it. Um, I don't see, uh, that. that's not to say that I see it as like, um, I don't know. I said something about asterisks last last week about um, there's no asterisks in the win loss column about inclement weather. There's also no um, asterisks for uh, moral victories. So I'm not necessarily saying that as much as I'm saying that uh, I think we allowed ourselves um, to uh, to utilize every experience because of our intent and our commitment um, moving forward. And if we choose to do it and if we we execute all the things um, that we haven't and utilize those experiences, we'll look back and say um, those were very beneficial. And that's the point because, you know, when you go all in, um, you know, and and guys guys really put forth their um, best effort, uh, under under some challenging circumstances, you can, you know, human nature is to kind of like, oh, here we go again. Um, but I'm very confident uh, in the human beings um, on the coaching staff and the human beings in the locker room uh, that uh, that the will be happy to play another game. And we love our home venue, but it's not. Not exactly like, oh, finally we're home. It's more that um, 
we need another opportunity to play football because uh, th- this is, you know, it's a it's a bad taste that you want to try to um, try to get rid of. You need some scope. My buddy Mike here says you have to use crest, but I disagree. I say scope all the way. So agree with Coach McDaniel there. Next, he was asked about the philosophy of how you approach the end of the schedule. Is it just the Green Bay Packers? Are we looking ahead to possible playoffs? I think you all know the answer here, but Coach gave us a pretty good answer talking about the playoff atmospheres this team has experienced the last three weeks. I think the players have gotten reps um, at what I was concerned about uh, that I really knew we need, which was football and playoff atmospheres. There's a lot of young guys that that it's different when when you have. I mean that that crowd in Buffalo was awesome. It was rocking. It felt legitimate, um, and that's the that's the type of environment that is that you get when you build upon um, a season. And uh, there's a lot on the line. Um, I think. Specifically, at the end of the season, you look less big picture um, because with, with with the in in terms of the only way that you can really do the things that you want to accomplish, you have to give full intent to the next opponent. So I want them to see one team and one team only: Green Bay Packers. Um, what I do know uh, is that game um, matters more than any other game. And I think when you're down the stretch, it's almost like you do reverse. You can talk big picture and talk about the goals when things are far away. When stuff gets closer, it's almost like a um, you're challenging yourself to be more locked in into the moment than other teams, players, individuals, because a lot of games are won and lost that way. When you start worrying about things that aren't right in front of you, um, which happens a lot, people, people can um, you know, start talking to what type of this game is this and you got to do this to this. No, uh, I think you have to learn how it's one game at a time or you are um, severely punished in this league down late in the season. You have to learn how to um, fully uh, attack an opponent um, because every single team that you play in these months have things to play for um, in one way, shape, or form, whether it's seeding, whether it's getting into the tournament, or... Um, whether it's taking out uh, aggress- aggression on, you know, whether their lack of involvement in the tournament. It's all, um, you know, players really are motivated. Um, and you don't want to be, you don't want to have self-inflicted wounds because you're thinking about um, some games after uh, the next. So, I believe there's two games after Green Bay. Um, they may or may not be in our division, but I don't know. Um, you guys would have to tell me. Uh, I uh, all I all I think of is I'm like a uh, I'm like a I don't know. Uh, I'm like one of your guys's children 
in this time of year, all I think about is Christmas. Except this Christmas, there's a football game. And a football game we need to win against the Green Bay Packers. Let's go ahead and finish up here with Coach McDaniel. I asked him about Tua's performance and how he felt Tua showed himself in responding to a couple of not up to Dolphins standards, not up to Tua standards performance on the West Coast swing. Coach's answer right here, Kawa. Coach's answer was awesome. Um, it, this is this is one of this game was really cool for me because I think I, I had complete faith in it and in, in where he was going to go. I think it took a, or a couple games he identified exactly um, exactly what was kind of holding him back to a degree. And again, it wasn't by it wasn't by a long shot him that was a reason for losing or you know that's a that's a collective thing and um, or offensive uh, efficiency that's a collective thing and all the skill positions know where they played a part in it but it's what to me that I see that um, is so unique about Tua. Um, what he was able to do is identify um, something that he could control. And in this particular game, um, I saw uh, him completely uh, correct the things that I thought were really holding holding him back in the two previous. That's a very rare thing to do um, in sports uh, is to have uh, control Really, just the the strength, the mental strength, and it takes to to harbor all of the all of the pressure, all of the um, really how how people just un- will undress um, every single play, or really hold you incredibly responsible, or have a narrative flip and and two games after playing however many it's a lot and I think not too many people are built for that um and I think we're seeing a young player that is exhibiting that that game uh, against Buffalo he was exhibiting some of the things that I think make him so unique and why I feel so fortunate to coach him because he um learned from the two previous games and was able in, in live speed to um directly attack those I think um case in point there was a uh there was a sack in the I think it was the first quarter um down by the uh maybe on the 12 yard line that he in game uh recognized that he hung on number one a little too long and then because of that um kind of missed two and three, which in the two previous games, um, it would have really, really affected how he played moving forward. Um, it kind of reminded me of the the Baltimore moment, to be honest, where he identified, oh, I'm forcing something, and then immediately has the, the, the mental fortitude to, to go back and um, persevere. There was a Another one in the third quarter, I believe the first drive of the third quarter, um, where he's um, dropping back and he's hanging on Waddle um, and f- for a, a, a quick route. And 
they're not on the same page, which in the heat of the moment, you could either do one or two things. You could get down on yourself because you didn't anticipate what he was doing, or you could get down and waddle, or you can move on to the next play. Um, it was a, a throw that got batted down like directly, like a Dikembe Mutembo swat. The very next play, he threw a 67-yard touchdown. So, um, and I don't know. Um, you can ask Christian what inspires me to, you know, really go above and beyond for players. Um, you know, maybe it's just seeing his cool sack dances. I transitioned completely. You just, you, just, you, you just rattled me, and I had no idea. I was like, what? what? Um, so that was a bunch of nonsense. But, yeah, who you guys really want to hear from is uh, number 94, the people's champion, Christian Wilkins. There you go. I think you have to love to hear that from your head coach, Mike McDaniel, talking about his quarterback, and it sounds like those guys could be together for a long, long time. All right, that's your podcast today. You all, please be sure to subscribe, rate, review, all that fun stuff. Check out the Fish Tank. Follow me on Twitter. All that fun stuff. Going to cut it short because this is a long podcast. Check out the YouTube channel for media availabilities and Dolphins today. All kinds of fun stuff up on the team YouTube channel. Last but not least, MiamiDolphins.com. Until next time, fins up, Caroline and Cameron. Daddy's coming home.